Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. While we're doing that, get your Bibles out, please. 1 Peter chapter 1. You might kind of think, well, I haven't got a Bible. Get one on your phone. If you've not already downloaded it, there's all kinds of apps. Or go online and be able to do it. Because by the end of this, I'm hoping that you're going to wish that you read your Bible more. You're going to see the benefits of doing that. So it can start with us actually opening one now. Whether you've got the paper version like I've got or a phone version. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to go into chapter 2, and um, I want to read that to you in just a moment. So I'll give you time to be able to do that and to be able to, um, to open the Word of God and actually to, to, to read it. The Bible says that anybody who reads it, there's a blessing just in reading it. You know that in Revelation? If you want to be blessed, there's actually a blessing just in reading the Bible. So if you want to be blessed, if you want to work from God, please do me a favour. If I start looking out and seeing people aren't doing it, I'm going to be crying at the front. Open your phone. Look at it. Get the word. Read it. If you can read, that's such a blessing. Some people would love to be able to read. Some people, haven't, some people are blind. And some people, you know, actually to be able to read the word of God, there are people in, on the planet who would love the blessing of being able to read what we get to read. So let's not despise that. Let's take the opportunity and actually read it together in a moment. If you want to follow along the translation I'm using, it's the New King James Version. It's not the only one, but that's so that it'll track word for word with you as, you, as I'm reading it. And we're going to read this. And it is the Word of God. We want to shape our lives to the Word of God. The story is told about a guy who uh, he went to a tailor and he, 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 got, he wanted to say, I want the best suit that you make. I want you to make me the best suit. And he said, well, you need the best material for the best suit. He said, well, show me the best material. Show him this beautiful material. He said, yes, I want a suit made out of that. How long is it going to take? He said, it'll take a couple of weeks to make a suit out of that. He said, that's really good, good material, best material. He said, okay. He says, how much is it going to cost? It's going to cost £2,000. Wow. He says, that's an amazing suit. It's going to be a great suit. So the guy then comes along to go and collect his suit. And when he gets there, it's all hanging up and ready for him. And he says, do you want to try it on? It looks beautiful. He says, it does look beautiful. He puts it on and he puts the suit on. And then when he puts it on, the sleeve is like, you know, four inches longer here. And this sleeve is like this. And the trouser leg, one of them is like really up here. Like that, and the other one is way too low and hanging down, and the collar is all over the place. And he says, uh, I'm not sure I like this suit, to be honest with you. He says, Oh sir, this is the latest fashion. He says, This is this is gonna this is this is gonna be good, it's a good suit. He says, All you have to do, he says, with the suit to make it look good, he says, just do this. He says, basically, he says, he says, just put your shoulder like that. Let's put your shoulder like that. He says, now this this one that's down here, he says, you want to grab hold of, of this one with that and kind of pull that up too so that they even out. And then make sure that you walk with that one in front. 
And then it'll look all right as you walk along. And he walks out of the shop like that. He says, thanks very much. As, the, as he's walking along, there's two doctors who see him walking down the road. And they see the guy walking down the road like this. Walking towards him. And one doctor turns to the other one and says, have you seen that guy? He says, yeah. He says, what do you think is wrong with him? He said, I don't know. He said, but that suit really looks good on him. <laughs> it's a stupid joke. I, I, he's totally lost on you. The idea, yeah, yeah. The, the, somebody is just not a funny joke. The idea is, don't let other people shape you. Don't let what they say about you end up shaping the way that you work. We have all kinds of opinions that are shaping us. We have the words of people that they want to speak into our lives, and we can end up walking differently as a result of what they want. I think so, so often we're so determined by the words of people. And, and, we, and like we got the word of God, that's what we're going to be looking at, is that actually God wants to speak to us. And we end up instead shaping our lives based upon the opinions of people and what they think and what they say versus what God has said to us. And I don't know about anybody else, but I want a word from God. I need a word from God today. I actually, in order to be able to walk the way he wants me to walk, to live the way that he wants me to live. That's exactly what this is going to tell us. This is what we've got here. And this goes beyond wanting one. It goes beyond hoping for one. So let's receive this as the word of God as I, as I read it. Because this is what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. says, Since you have purified your souls... In obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. So the only way you can love other people is when you've got your heart pure. The only way you can love other people fervently is when you have a pure heart. How do we get a pure heart? How do I get a pure heart? Having been born again. Not a corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So there's a word from God, there's a seed that God wants to sow, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flowers fall away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. We end up, if we're not careful, building our, word upon, our lives upon words that are just grass. Words that are, are here today and gone tomorrow. Words that don't matter, matter most sometimes to us if we're not careful. So he's contrasting the word of God with the word of man. Now this is the word. This is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and all evil speaking, watch your words that go out as well as the words that come to you. As newborn babes desire, long for, it says in other translations, long for the pure milk of the word so that you may grow thereby. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious or the Lord is kind. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones. He says Jesus is a living stone. When you come to him, you also are a living stone. 
And you are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I might read more of it later. But he pretty much says something very similar again. And uh, I think I'm going I'm to finish with that and uh, come back next week um, to look at, for those who are going to be with us, from uh, verse 13, which is about submission to government, which will be a very interesting passage to look at, I think, next week. Interesting. When you start looking through the Bible, you find things that you don't want to preach on. <laughs> Here we go. So, but this is the word of God. And the central part of this reading, of this passage, is an imperative, a command, at the start of chapter 2. By the way, you know that this wasn't written with chapters and verses, that people added them in. It was about the 16th century when somebody, to help put in chapters and verses, before that it didn't have them. They're not, they're not holy. The numbers, apart from the book of numbers, aren't holy. Somebody just done it so that we could... They put the, the chapters and verses in so that most of us can forget them. So we can go, oh, see, he says somewhere. <laughs> anyway, using that code of chapter, chapter and verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, Long for the pure milk of the word. And this goes beyond like a wistful longing. It's the main message of this whole passage is that you need a word from God. Every day we need a word from God. I don't know what it is that you're facing. A conflict, uh, 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 something on the outside, something on the inside. I, I, I don't know, but you know. And God knows, and God knows that you need a word from God. And God knows the word that he wants to get to you. And while you might have somebody else who could encourage you, I was talking about this this morning, somebody else could encourage you with their words, and that's very important. Maybe people could do that. I hope you get that. But actually, you need a word. I, just, I don't just need a word. You know the difference? I need a word. There's times when I don't just need a word. I really need, I need a word. I need God to speak. And how many of us, so by the way, how many of us want God present with us? Yes. Yeah? How many of us, given a choice between God being present and God being very present, would like him with us? More, would like us very present? Do you know what you're doing? You're asking for trouble then. <laughs> because Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in a time of trouble. God is always present, but in a way it's bad news, but it's also great news that in trouble, he's very present. Sometimes when we don't even feel like he's there, that's the time when he's actually most there. Yes, Isaac likes that one. Yeah. So, yeah, you know why he liked that? Because that's a word. For some people here, that's not just a word, that's a word. If you add faith to it. You see, it's a seed, but it has to land on faith. And when it does, something grows, something germinates because of what it lands on. Otherwise, it's just you're just throwing out the seed. Jesus told a parable about that, didn't he? 
It's just dormant. See, we talked, we read about here, it's a seed. It's incorruptible, it's unfailing, it's permanent. Unlike all of the other words, this is one that will produce life. It's going to come from God. But it has to land somewhere to grow something of God. It has to land on faith. The writer to the Hebrews said, without faith it is impossible to please God. So faith is non-negotiable. The Bible says we live by faith. This is, this is Again, it's so important for us to grasp hold of this. Faith is a big deal. So, by the way, when I say faith, what do we mean? Faith means I believe it. But it's more than that. See, I, I, for a long time, if you'd have asked me, I probably would have said that if you'd read it to me, I would say I kind of believe that about John 3.16. I had some idea about Jesus being the saviour of the world and... Christians believe that and yeah I could probably say that it might, I had a, you know in some religious way maybe I would I could even assent to that I suppose in some way but it wasn't changing my life or doing anything see there's a belief do you believe God heals the sick do you believe that God can break the power of darkness over somebody's life yeah do I, do I believe that God can raise the dead yes. yes I do but then if you bring a coffin in this week here as we sometimes have I don't generally tend to think, all right, well, we're all going to go to the party. I don't tend to think, now it's resurrection time. I think we're having a funeral. See, I believe, but I don't necessarily have faith for something. There's a difference. See, I can believe in the resurrection. That's like when, um, when Jesus had that conversation with the two sisters. He's trying to get faith. What they've got is belief. They're saying, and he says, do you believe and he said, oh yeah, yeah, I believe in you. Yeah, you, you really believe. And he's like, yeah, but have you got faith? There's a difference. See, there's times when believe doesn't cut it and somebody needs faith. This kind of prayer needs faith. What's the difference? Belief says, I believe it. Faith says, I know it. And the only way you get to know it is when the word becomes a revelation. It's like you see it and you go, oh, Oh wow, now I see it. It's like, so when revelation comes, it comes alive and the word, something shifts into gear, it becomes faith. And then I'm like, oh wow, it's true. So at that point, you know, I remember, like Peter describes here, the gospel, the seed becoming alive for me the first time when it happened. I can remember when John 3.16 was like, oh God loved the world so much. He sent his son for me. It's for me. This isn't just a word. That's a word. That's a word to save me. That's a word for me. I knew it's true. And I put faith in the word. And the seed germinated something. And something new started. And that's what faith does. It kind of activates the word. So, so even the word, even though it's so powerful, it's like um, potentially powerful. It's potent, potentially. And, and we have a lot, a lot to do with what God gets to do in our lives. And something happened, and what this describes in me began to happen. That word started to grow inside of me, and after a bit I wanted to obey the truth. I got a new love for people that I didn't have before. I wanted to lay aside some evil ways, some deceitful ways. I didn't want to be a hypocrite. 
I wanted to change. I wanted to cooperate because I'd tasted the kindness of God. All the things that we read about happened when that seed started to open up in my life. So are we thirsty? Are we thirsty for the milk of the word? See, we get filled up with so many words these days. They call this the information age. and We've got all this information, but so little transformation because we haven't got much revelation. We've just got words. We're bombarded all the time with words, 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 words. And we need a word. Because all those words, well, not, yeah, see, so many of them just don't help. Even if they're well-intentioned and well-meaning, you look at the life of Job. One thing after another, bad things happen after another. Even as well-meaning people who come along and try and bring their words to him, and, he's, and they're not helping. So in chapter 23, he ends up saying this in verse 12, though. He says, even though terrible stuff's going on in his life, he says this, I have treasured his words. The words of his mouth more than my necessary food. He's like, give me a choice between feeding on even the best food and the word of God. I'm picking the word. Psalm 1 describes somebody whose life's blessed by God. What's the deciding factor? His delight is in the law of the Lord and on it he meditates. Meditates. They say that the word there is like, is like literally ruminates, chews over the word of God. It's like you don't just read it, but you start, you're thinking about it. It's growing in you. It's, 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 it's challenging you throughout the day. It's not just a quick read and forget, oh, I've done my reading. Has uh, the reading done you? <laughs> Psalm 19. The words of God are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter than the drippings of the honeycomb. See, do you, do you want the word of God more than gold? Because... Our life might look like, actually, I'm busy working for the gold. So I haven't got time for the word. You know, why haven't you got time for the, for the, for the word? Because I desire gold. More. You know, the honeycomb. You've probably heard this, but what they would do with the young Jewish boys and girls when they were little they would get a slate and they would cover it in honey and this represented the word of God they would just write a scripture on it and then they would give it to the children and this was you know that our kids are so used to sweets but in these places this was the most incredible thing they'd ever tasted in their lives up until that point they never got to taste honey and then they would link it in their minds with the word of God as being the most desirable, the most wonderful thing that, they, that a child had ever tasted is linked in their mind to the word of God. Amen. Psalm 119, longest psalm in the Bible. What's it talking about? Is it talking about salvation? Is it talking about God? Is it talking about his faithfulness? Actually, you know what it's talking about? The word. Over and over, from verse 16 right the way through to verse 174, it just keeps on repeating how amazing the Bible is. Your word, Lord. I love your law. I rejoice in your law. I delight in your word. There's this craving that Peter talks about here. What for? For the word. See, we can, so often in worship, we talk about, Lord, I love you. I want more of you. Lord, I love you. I want more of you. I want to build my life on your love and all that. Well, actually, he says, if you want to build your life on my love, build your life on my word. Because that's what he actually says we build our lives on. Yes. That's 
That's the thing that's not the sinking sand. He actually says, foolish people build their lives on all kinds of other stuff. But the word, his word, is what we build a life that lasts on. And that's why it's so under attack all the time. Paul's talking here to people who are struggling, who are persecuted. He knows they're not going to get through without a word from God. So he says, desire that pure milk. In a, in a world that gives you so, there's, there's so much corruption, there's so much that would corrupt. He says, be like a little baby who's longing for milk. Like a newborn baby who's, who's just longing for the milk from the mum. Because you know, you know how full of nutrients that milk is. The newborn baby just has to have that milk. You know newborn babies, what do they want? Milk! That's it. Only one thing they bother about. Milk! If you could translate baby, that scream means milk! It's what they want. They're not bothered about how, what colour the nursery's painted. They're not bothered about how nice the silk pyjamas are or whatever. They're not bothered about all those things that mums and dads get bothered about. They're like, milk! That's all they want. They're not happy without the milk because they know they're not going to grow without the milk. That teeny little baby, oh, little cutie bambino. Until they start to scream and there's nothing else going to satisfy them. Is there? You know? You're not going to get anything else that is going to satisfy that child other than the milk. And this is the picture that Peter uses, talking about the Bible. He says, do you, I mean, do we have anything like remotely approaching that hunger and thirst for the word of God? Do you ever get to the place where you're like, I haven't got time to eat because I've got to read the Bible? If not, he says, no wonder. See, what if, you do, if, if a child doesn't want the milk, if a baby doesn't want the milk, what's the, what do we think? Something wrong with that baby. Failing to thrive. They talk, that's the kind of phrase that they start talking about. What's wrong? The baby doesn't want the milk. No wonder we end up with Christians that are sick. No wonder we end up with Christians that are, are weak and that are so easily taken out, malnourished, because we should be, what is it, where's the craving in me? I'm talking to myself here, I want that to be, I mean there's times that one good thing that's happened is, is we've got this fast till five Friday, I'm encouraging myself and other people to join, just, on a, just to miss some food on a Friday, miss your breakfast, miss your lunch, and, and what we do is instead is, can I fill up on God? Can I pray and can read my Bible in those times? It isn't just do without food, it's, it's get, get something better. And I'm finding that if I do that, I actually am not as hungry. Because I'm full. The word fills me up. So he's not saying here, you should read the Bible. It's not some legalistic thing when he says this. He's just saying, you know, it's natural. When you've, when you've become a, a newborn, you've got this new life and you want to grow. That, remember, the word of God is meant, to, is meant to grow in us. How are you going to grow otherwise? Turn to the person next to you, smile at them and say, drink your milk. <laughs> and then you look back at that person and say to them, you need the seed. 
See, all these other seeds, all these other words, opinions, Twitter, Insta, whatever, radio, TV, books, they're all perishable. But he talks about the living and enduring word of God. That's why we should desire it, because it's got power. The same power that changed us at the start. If you ever had that salvation experience, the same power, the same seed. God doesn't want to just sow one seed in your life and get you saved. So he gives you a bag of seed. And you decide how much he gets to grow in your life from that moment on. The word is the seed that was sowed that brought you salvation. That's what he says here. And he says, so crave that same seed. If you want want the life of God in you, get the seed of God growing and sown into you. You know, some sower came along at some point in your life. If you've ever given your life to Jesus Christ, some sower came past and they sowed some seed on your life. Maybe at the time it smelt a bit, your life. It smelt like, like manure. When that happened, somebody came and sowed seed and it grew. Now, God gives you a bag of seed and and he wants you to keep on sowing. He says you're responsible for how much you sow. So, again, I do this sometimes. Point to the person in the room who's chiefly responsible for your spiritual growth. I'm responsible. I'm responsible. See, what's our approach to the word of God when it comes? First Thessalonians 2.13, I've read this a few times in the last couple of weeks. It's one of these that keeps coming and I'm like, oh God, is that a word? You know, it's like it keeps coming in different ways and you kind of go, oh, oh, hang on, this is a word. First Thessalonians 2.13, let me read it again for you. The Apostle Paul is so thankful for the way in which he brought the gospel to them and all this new stuff sprung up in them and now he's writing to them. He's saying, you're in a hard place. It's a hard place to be a Christian, but he's encouraging them in this hard place. And, and then he says this, and he says, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which is effectively at work in you who believe. I was taught New Testament by an atheist at Nottingham University, expert in Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. He didn't believe. The word of God had no effect in him. They were throwing seed on concrete. Made no difference. There was no faith on which it landed. He didn't believe it was the word of God. As far as he was concerned, they were words in different languages of men. You have to settle the question when you come to this. Is this the word of God? Or is it, or is it the word of people? You have to settle that question. He says this word, the reason he says that God's been able to do anything with you is because you've settled the question. This is the word of God. That's what caused you to be saved. And when you read it again next time, you've got to think, is this the word of God? God, this is the word. I need a word. And then he says, great. I mean, imagine tonight, imagine you go into bed and you hear a voice and it sounds like God. And the voice says, George, George. George is nodding. 
It's like, this is God. When you wake up tomorrow morning, I have a word for you, George. Are you going to be at sleep? You're going to be like, oh man, God's going to talk to me. God's got a word for me. How soon are you going to want to get up? Because you're like, God's got a word for me. This is what he's saying. How, if, we have, if we had that kind of hunger for the word of God, how much would God do through us? How much seed would land and grow instead of being choked out by all the other stuff? So he says, receive it as it is. It's the word of God. So many times it's under attack. People say, oh, it's just the word. That's the slippery slope. When people start describing it as just another book, it's just an ancient you know, guidelines that we can pick and choose from. And it's the words of people. And it's, yes, it's inspiring. It's not, inspi- not about inspiring. It's about inspiration in terms of is it inspired by God. The, the Bible speaks about itself and says people were moved by God. People were inspired by God. The word that's used there, that Paul uses, it's like there's a sail and the wind blows and moves the boat where it wants to go. And this is the way in which God inspired the writers. He inspired them so that they were writing. They think it's their thoughts, some of them, but it's his thoughts that's being communicated to us. So in one of my Bibles, it's, it's my oldest study Bible that I've got upstairs, written on the front page, it says this long thing, but basically what it says is, this is the word word of God it's like read that first this is the word of God and then I've written underneath it it's talking to me it's talking about me so if I read that first and get that attitude in my head first things start to come alive so, you know, everything starts to change. God starts to work. And I'm reading something, you know, about David or Paul or Peter. But actually, I'm not. I'm reading about me. I'm reading about my life and what God wants to do in my life. So this is why he says, long for that word. And you see, when you start to long for that, you start to lay aside some other stuff. Because it's no longer quite as attractive anymore. You don't, it starts to change inside of you. So he says, long for that. But then he says, lay aside all malice and deceit and hypocrisy, all these other kinds. The word that he says, lay aside, literally means strip off. It's going to stop here, don't worry. Strip off. It's like tear off the filthy, soiled garments is the picture. You know, some, there's going to have, the youth are getting there's some baptisms tomorrow night and it's wonderful. We're going to pray for that. Yeah. But you see, the, the, the ancient rituals of the early church, they would actually, sometimes people would come in in their grubby old clothes and then they'd be baptised and be given new clothes to go out in. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what salvation's about? A new creation, the old has gone, the new has come. That's like shedding the old because I'm beginning the new. So he says, what do we tear off? All sin. He repeats the word all three times in the verse. All malice. Let me pick, pick through these because maybe these are things as we read the word of God, God wants to say to you, take that off. Malice. We think it's like thinking bad thoughts about other people, but it's, it's not. This word in, in the in the original Greek language it's talking about is basically any evil it's just a, it's a, it's a, it means it's like badness kakos kakia it's like take off that, those khaki clothes the badness just 
get rid of that. Anything khaki. All deceit. Dolos is the word there. It's, it's like the same word would be used to the bait on a fish hook. And you know what? That's such deceitful, isn't it? Because the fish sees the meal and thinks, ooh, that's a nice meal. And then it becomes a meal. And it's like, that's the deception. Take that off. So there's, malice is like, really the word there is open sin and deceit is the hidden sin. And, and as the word and the spirit start to work in me, I want to get rid of both of them. Then he says hypocrisy. You probably know that word is like the actor who'd put on a mask in those theatres and pretend to be what they're not. He says, put off that. You don't have to do that anymore, that fakey stuff. Envy, wanting what other people have got, wanting their situation, wanting their, their status, wanting their success. And that always leads to grudges. That always leads to bitterness. That always leads to conflict and hatred. Get rid of all of that because you desire the milk of the word. All slander. Catalalia. Means Gossip maliciously tearing other people down. You see, actually you can see how all these things as you list them lead one to another. Wickedness leads to deceit. Deceit leads to hypocrisy. Hypocrisy masks envy. Envy always gets followed by slander and evil talk, always. But as God's speaking to me from his word, I start to want to strip off those things and live differently. See, the more I desire the word, the less I desire the worthless. And the opposite is true. If I have more desire for sin, I'll end up with less desire for the word. Somebody said, the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. Because I don't want to read it if it's reading me. I want to ignore it. I don't want God to speak to me about that. I just want him to tell him nice stuff about how much he loves me and I can carry on. I want him to be my approver. So he says, be like a baby in this sense that you desire to grow, grow up. How do we grow? How do we not fail to thrive? Well, a decade ago, Willow Creature did an analysis of 6,000 surveys completed by people. Three years later, they conducted in-depth interviews to follow it up. They were looking at spiritual formation, spiritual growth. Now their assumption at the start was that the more involved the person was in the ministries of the church, the more they would grow. And I'm not saying that's not a bad thing. In fact, they found that when you first become a Christian, you do grow when you get involved and you serve and you do alpha courses. That's like fast track. But then there comes a point which people often stop growing. And they were, this was self-reporting. People saying, actually, I don't feel like I'm growing anymore. As a Christian, I kind of, they would tick the box that say that I'm stuck in my, and, and, and I'm not growing. And, you know, they would classify themselves in one sense that they would tick the box and say I'm a mature believer because I've been doing it a while. But at the same time, they say, but I'm stagnant. I'm not growing. And the way they defined growing was I'm growing more in love for Jesus and other people. That was the, the will you tick that box? And these people were mature but dissatisfied. These were the boxes they were ticking. And there was a lot of people, there was a large proportion of people that were ticking this box. Still coming to church, just not feeling like they were growing. And then 
the survey was very interesting, so they thought, well, maybe it's just their style of church. So other people took the survey international. Over the years, more than 400,000 individuals in over 1,500 churches were interviewed in the same kind of study, and they got the same results. And guess what? What was the difference maker? It wasn't a particular program. It wasn't a particular structure, style of worship, size of church. The biggest single determinant of whether a person who's been a Christian a while would be able to tick the box that said, yeah, I'm growing. Growing in love for God, growing in love for other people. Guess. Based upon what I've been telling you all night so far. It shouldn't be that hard. If you've been listening at all, you should be able to guess the answer to this question. The key catalyst for spiritual spiritual growth was this. Reflection on Scripture. Reflection on Scripture. It was the only thing that appeared every time. Whether somebody had become a Christian for five years or 50 years, they'd been following God. And remember, they did this surveys and they followed it up three years on. This wasn't like a one-off, how do you feel? It was a really rigorous study. And basically, the difference was, see, the people who weren't growing would tick the thing around Scripture that would kind of say, occasionally, infrequently, sometimes. Whereas the people who were growing would be ticking words like, frequently, regularly, daily. And at the same time, they'd be ticking boxes that said, I'm learning to be more like Christ. I've got hope. I'm praying with faith. The more they read the Bible and engaged with it as the word of God, they're growing. It's like what Peter says is true. The survey proved it. Reflection on scripture this is a summary of the finding, is the most influential catalyst of spiritual growth. And this isn't just reading it, because you could read 10 chapters a day. But the question is, am I saying, this is the word of God. God, speak to me. I'm hungry for a word. I need a word. I'm looking for a word. And there's all kinds of stuff that we can do and we want to encourage, I want to encourage myself, I want to encourage you to download you version if that one helps. All kinds of different languages, it's all free. Follow a Bible reading plan. We do, a, um, myself and Zoe do one that that's like takes you through the Bible in a year and a bit more. But it's like, you might not have the time to be able to immediately start, but what happens is if you start to crave it, you start to grow, you want to, you, you, you know, and, and it's basically, I always have the option, I can spend ages looking at words on social media and faffing about and messing about with Twitter and stuff like that and think, where did the time go? But that's like giving a baby Coca-Cola. So, do we want to grow? Lord, help us to grow. Help us to taste your kindness, your goodness. Because in the end, you see, I haven't got time to go into this, but he basically talks about the reason that we do this is because God wants you to be a priest. He wants us to represent him to people and people to him. That's what he calls every one of us. You know, you could say to me, oh, well, it's all right for you, Anthony. You're paid, you're a church minister, and so you're going to have to read the Bible to do that and all those kind of things. But, but actually, we, we get that wrong because this says we're all priests. We're a kingdom of priests. Every single one of us, if you're a Christian, is called to be part of this kingdom of priests. A holy priesthood, a spiritual house, 
offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In Peter's days, there were priests all over the place, pagan priests, you know, priestesses, all about communion with the gods. He was like, no, no, you have access, he says. You can come to God. And you can bring other people to God. You're a holy priesthood. We're being built like living stones. A holy nation, it goes on to say in verses 9 and 10. A royal priesthood, a chosen race. His own special people to proclaim his praises. Tell other people what God told you. Because this world is waiting for people who've got a word. This world is waiting for somebody who's got a bit of hope. This world is waiting for people who've got a bit of faith to be able to pass it on and I'm not going to be able to give them what I've not got. But so often I've found that I just find myself in a situation, if I've been reading the Bible, where I've been in a conversation with somebody and I'll be thinking, I don't know what I say to you, I don't know what I can do to bring you anything of hope or whatever. And then something will tick over and it'll be like, oh, but I was reading the other day this bit and I don't even have to do it in religious language but you suddenly find you've got a word let's pray I pray Lord that you would help us by increasing our craving our longing for a word from you Lord so often we're so easily satisfied and filled up with junk food with, with words that are perishable and so we feel like we haven't got time to be able to to drink the milk of your word to grow up in our salvation to be mature we don't have time to get seeds of words and we don't let them germinate we don't add faith to them Lord but right now Lord I, I, I make a decision this is the word of God again Lord I trust you you'll speak to me through it There's a passage, I can't find it, it just comes to mind about, it says that Billy Graham at one point, he went, his ministry was taking off and he was starting to tell people about Jesus and, and then he had this bit of a doubt crisis in his ministry and he just went off to the woods with the Bible and had to wrestle with God. And while he was there, he came away with this conviction. This is the word of God. I'm going to preach the word of God. This isn't just a word from people to compete with other words. This is the word of God. And he said that that decision, when he came away from that, it was like the ministry took off to a whole other level. Lord, you honour your word. I pray that as I've spoken about your word tonight, that you would honour it by growing something new in every life here that we would add faith to your word and that something new would germinate in us, even this week. Our relationship to your word would subtly shift by your spirit, that we would hunger and thirst. We would say, this is my daily bread. And Lord, we would grow up in our salvation. And Lord, thank you that we're, if we're lonely, you have a word. If we're weary, you have a word that sustains the weary. Lord, we, we need a word from you. And thank you that we have 66 chapters as your love letter to us. Amen.
Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.